Podcast One. Today's guest has recently achieved a moderate level of success. Nothing major, just some moderate success, which has made him a very happy business owner. And he joins us to share the 10 steps that got him there. It's a moderately compelling episode 513 of the 11-year-old award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Yeah, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show, where successful small business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead, now here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing moderation. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner who's ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. Big episode today. We catch up with Hotwire Heating's Luke Chant, whose recent LinkedIn article titled 10 Steps to Business Success by a Moderately Successful Business Owner caught my attention. This week's Motivated Listener has seen their YouTube views increase by 1,000% thanks to an idea picked up on this podcast, and I let you in on next week's guest, whose clients include the Pentagon. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ, so let's get stuck right in. Quick update, team. I have been banned from Facebook and Instagram, not because I was a naughty boy, although some would say I am, but because some lowlife from Vietnam hacked my account and posted something less than desirable, something to do with ISIS. Now, if that wasn't enough, they accessed my PayPal account through my Facebook and started spending my money on their advertising. So despite having done nothing, I'm locked out of Facebook until we get to the bottom of it. And it actually may be forever because right now Facebook are being very, very unhelpful. Now, the big lesson here is simple for all you wonderful business owners. Do not put all your eggs into one basket, especially a basket you have zero control over. As my mate James Shramko says, own the race course, not the race horse. You see, the reality is, If you're fully invested in any social media channel as your primary source of marketing, then you, my friend, are leaving yourself wide open, not only to low-life hackers, but to the social media channels themselves, who at any time, without notice, can change the rules, and they absolutely do often. Now, whilst it's frustrating not being able to chat with my fellow small business big marketing tribe members on Facebook and see what my family and friends are up to, actually quite enjoying the forced time out. Plus, it lets me focus on LinkedIn, which I know gives me a greater bang for my buck when it comes to creating awareness around this podcast. Okay, I'll now step down from my soapbox. Speaking of Facebook, I first came across today's guest inside the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe, where he posted an article he'd written about the moderate success he'd recently achieved in his heating products business. Luke Chant owns Hotwire Heating, and the article he wrote was titled 10 Steps to Business Success by a Moderately Successful Business Owner. What caught my attention was that Luke acknowledged that not every business owner is trying to be the next Steve Jobs 
or Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Some of you simply want to make a comfortable living doing something you love, right? In fact, the opening line of Luke's article reads, and I quote, My last name is not Gates or Zuckerberg. However, in my last week, my small business passed a fairly significant financial milestone, end quote. And Luke then goes on to share 10 actions that led to his moderate success. So I started off by asking him if he approached everything in life with a level of moderation. (laughs) My wife would argue not. I do tend to do things to the extreme. She's always worried I'm going to kill myself on my mountain bike and these sorts of things. So when it comes to, to exercise and, uh, and general life, I do tend to do things uh, extreme rather than moderate. What about in business? Yeah. One of the, you know, the points in the article I wrote was, you know, bite off more than you can chew. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty much how I've gone about my business life as well as just give everything a crack and just see what happens. Go your, hard, yeah, go your hardest and hope for the best. Hope for the best, absolutely. Why not? But before we talk about your moderate success that you are riding the wave of right now, uh, yeah. t- tell us about two failed businesses yeah. that you had before this <laughs> moderate success. Got married when I was 20. My wife was 19. Just had our 25th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Um, we were supposed to celebrate that in uh, in Europe for all of May, but of um. course that... um fell in a heap. So we, we got married and uh, we actually were living in Sydney at the time, moved back to Adelaide and we started a business with my brother-in-law and all our wisdom, we, um, he had an idea to start a, uh, a debt collection and private investigation business. So we thought we'd kick that off with all my experience, which accounted to nothing uh, in that field. It was a horrible idea. We were newly married and very young and had no idea what the heck we were doing. But with all my, the enthusiasm of youth, we thought we'd give it a crack. And yeah, we just failed abysmally because we had no idea what we were doing and um, what, what happened? Did the deck collectors come knocking? Or? <laughs> no, we, we didn't sort of get quite that bad, but my brother-in-law had, uh, had a payout from his previous employer and he wanted to, he thought he invested in trying to start something. And um, yeah, no, I mean, he's a bit older than me, but neither of us still had any idea what we were, what we were doing. And, okay, so um, we put business failure number yeah. one down to naivety and oh, the, absolutely. The, the, the wonder of youth. Business failure yeah. number two? <laughs> Another field I didn't know anything about. I ran into a guy who was looking to start a recruitment company. Uh, I was living in Adelaide um, and he was a Perth-based company and wanted to start a recruitment company in Adelaide. So we kicked that off for him and a, a few months in, it wasn't getting the results uh, he wanted. Um, so uh, he decided to, to close it down. It was a pretty bad time for us. Actually, I'd had a, um, the night before, I'd written off my car with my wife who was eight months pregnant and my young son in the back seat, and they were, they were both okay. But um, she was in hospital for observation and then he called the next day and I decided to close down the company. So I had a wife, eight-month pregnant wife in hospital, a son being looked after by a friend, and I rode off my car and lost, lost, effectively lost my job, although it was a company I was a director of. He, he was the majority shareholder and closed it down. So I think I had about $300 in the bank and rent due that week and no job and no prospect of a job, and my whole world sort of fell on a hole pretty quickly that night. For how long? Well, that happened on a Tuesday, and by the following Monday, I'd st- I started a new job. I'd found a, another another recruitment company put me on, and, and I, I I sort of resolved it fairly promptly. But that sort of forty eight to seventy two hours was probably the worst couple of days of my life. Actually, it was. Um, I did spend one night in the beanbag in the lounge room, you know, while my wife went to sleep, and I was sort of had the, the weight of the world on my shoulders. A fetal position in the beanbag. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. That was a, that wasn't a very pleasant couple of couple of days, but. Well, you're running a moderately successful company now. Before we talk about that, what did <laughs> yeah. you learn from those two failures? Well, I learned to, uh, uh, to go and to make sure you know what you're doing if you're going to get into a new business to start with, have some sort of, some sort of experience or at least be with people that, that do and not to sort of try and do it all, all by yourself. 
in that second instance, I really should have taken a lot more um, care about the people I was getting involved with before I jumped in. Yeah, always a lesson. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, well, I was listening to a podcast uh, on the way down to the studio this morning and COVID is terrible. This pandemic we yeah. are in is terrible. Yeah. There absolutely. is, however, silver linings uh, in, in everything. This It was actually the Louis Theroux podcast where he's trapped in his home in London, probably a mansion really, but uh, <laughs> and there is an upside. What What's the upside you found? Very luckily, I'm in a, my current company's... Um, in the building industry, which is really not shut down. So, mm. uh, slowed down? Well, yeah, but we just had our, um, and we'll talk about this a bit later, but it's, we just had our biggest year ever. And um, moderate year, mate. Come moderate, on, don't get David, don't get ahead of yourself. Moderate year. Uh, so, yeah, we've, uh, we've actually done fairly well through this. I, I certainly um, have a great deal of compassion for businesses who are in, you know, hospitality or in health and fitness and, um, and those sorts of areas. Um, certainly been a, been a tough time, but in, for us this year, we've, we've actually done pretty well. Now, tell us, hot wire heating. Yeah. Uh, what does hot wire heating do? How long ago did you start it and why? Okay, so we uh, import underfloor heating and heated towel rails and distribute around Australia. Can I just say, I, I love a heated towel rail. It's quite <laughs> one of my guilty pleasures. Yeah, I've actually, I come across <laughs> plenty of people who, who say they uh, they built and didn't put floor heating in and they wish they had, but I've never come across someone who says they, uh, they put it in and wish they didn't. So Yeah, yeah, um, right. As to why we started, I, I actually, as you can tell by my failed stories, I really wanted to do something for myself and uh, a couple of friends of mine actually started the company and they had experience in the building game. And then about six months in, they uh, were looking for someone to, because neither of them wanted to actually work in the company, they just wanted the sort of passive income from it. They were looking for someone to, uh, to join the business and so I came in after about uh, six months and then came in as a, as a director and then we grew the company from there, so... So um, listen, you knew nothing about debt collecting, failed. <laughs> you knew nothing about recruitment, failed. Yeah. What did you know about underfloor heating and heated tower rails? Yeah, nothing. Um, <laughs> but, but moderate success. But moderate Third success. time lucky. Yeah. Um, in this case, I, I got into the business with people that did know a little bit. So I had two partners who, who had a lot more experience in that game. One of them was a general builder and one of them was an experienced business coach and business consultant. So it went in with a lot more experience behind me and, uh, and backup than I'd done in my, in my previous failures. This article you wrote uh, yeah. on LinkedIn suggests some of the ways you've that, that have led to your moderate success, but <laughs> yeah. you have had some regrets and tears along the way, even in this business. Is this yeah. just part of the Luke chant modus operandi, or <laughs> do you do you attract this kind of stuff? What happened? Oh, we've certainly had some some tears along the way. I mean, um, as I said, I was involved with two business partners, and uh, we'll talk about that again. At, a bit later when we get to the points, but um, but that relationship just didn't work. And yeah, there oh, was... so this is in the two failed businesses. There haven't been that many regrets or tears in in hot wire heating. No, not really. I mean, we've done pretty well. It's certainly been difficult. Um, we're growing a growing a business, you know, from, what, from scratch. What's been difficult? He uh, he asks knowingly. Certainly, my competitors um have a lot of them have deeper pockets than I do. They've got overseas investors and um you know parent companies overseas and. That all comes with its challenges when you're trying to bootstrap a, a business, which is what I've done with with Hotwire. So there's certainly been some been some difficulties there, and it's a competitive market, mm. you know, in the in the building industry. And there's all sorts of challenges around dealing with that uh, with importing products. You've got currency fluctuations and and all sorts of things that, that make it really challenging. One of the things you told me off air that you pride yourself on, and yeah. so do I, uh, and I know many people listening 
probably do with their businesses is that we punch way above our weight. Yeah. I believe a good small business looks much bigger than they are. And you can do that in a variety of ways. A simple way would be, you know, the way you market yourself, to have a podcast or a YouTube channel. It kind of yeah. positions you differently. What, what are you doing at Hotwire to punch above your weight? We've always managed to to do that. We've got some some large national customers that are uh, on our books and we've been dealing with for, for a long time. Um, and we just get really clever with with technology. I think there's there's so mm. many ways nowadays you can give a, a you know presence to the market that might make you look bigger than you are, and and you can do that really easily with with technology and with uh, all sorts of other things nowadays that, that make it much easier. Give us an example. We're really clever with the way. When I say we're really clever, I, I've I've learned that from a, from a lot of other people. But just around your social media, around the way you market, the way you communicate with your customers, with email marketing. Uh, you know, we've been really lucky with some endorsements. We've been on things like the block. And that's been really great. It really gives you a, a really strong market presence. You can't just mm. get away with that one. How does a moderately successful small business find themselves on one of the biggest shows on commercial TV in Australia? Yeah, well, it's another one of those bite off more than you can chew scenarios. So, look, I'm not a fan of reality TV in, in general. And so the opportunity came about six or seven years ago. I had a phone call from Beaumont Tiles, one of our big customers, and, and Beaumont's have been supplying the block for some time. And I had a phone call from the block uh, from Beaumont's who said, and I actually thought we'd done something wrong because they said, uh, we need you to come into the head office and they wouldn't tell me why. So I thought, oh, here we go. Something's, <laughs> something's happened. I've been summoned into yeah. head office and they wanted to see me like right then. I was driving down the freeway. I literally had to turn around and go back. So I drove, drove back into the office and they made me sign a confidentiality agreement before they'd even talked to me about what's going <laughs> it's, on. It's getting worse. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, by this stage, I'm, I'm really starting to get pretty worried about what's about to happen. And then they said, look, we've just signed up with the block and we'd like Hotwire to be a part of it. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, okay, thank you. That's a great, great relief. But uh, at that stage, I said, I'd, I'd had really watched much reality TV. And so I knew of The Block, obviously, uh, but I hadn't watched a lot of it. And they said, so you know about The Block? And I said, yeah, yeah, no problems. And they said, so we're going to do this and we wanted, to, we need you to be a part of this. So you've watched this part of the show, you know who these people are. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problems. <laughs> yeah, I know that. And then left the meeting and quickly had to start watching some back episodes and working out what the heck I just committed to because I really didn't, didn't didn't know much. And then uh, for fans of the show, it was the first year that was a year that Kyle and Cara uh, were on it as well as um, Alyssa and Alessandra was another. Oh, I'll listen to you, um, mate. You sound best friends with all the uh, main characters now. <laughs> oh, actually, Kyle and Cara, they still do some endorsement work for us many years later, and um, we that actually awesome. do do communicate with them quite often. So they're a, they're an amazing couple. They've got a, a huge following on social media, and so we just jumped in boots and all and said, yeah, we can do that. And then. Suddenly we were we were on the block, and um, Kyle and Cara were very generous in their in their publicity of us on the block, and this that they you know they featured Hotwire and they showed showed me installing the product, and from not really watching reality TV, suddenly I was actually on it myself. How ironic! Um, so yeah, so it was it was a little bit. Okay, so you're in there, you're installing stuff. I guess yeah. you get some, they, they give you a little bit of product placement. I've watched a little bit of it and there's yeah. the odd sort of logo of those who are, mm -hmm. because I'm guessing you're giving all your time and all your product for free, right? Yeah, it's, it's different on different series depending on how they want to structure it for the contestants. Okay. But yeah, certainly you're, you're giving away certainly much less than you would normally, yeah. Which kind of annoys me a little bit because these are big production companies with big budgets and they're wanting, you know, flesh and blood from the little guy. Okay, so you get some exposure. What yep. did that do for your business? Um, because could you leverage the fact that you're on the block or did you have to sign some guy, like thing that you can't use their logo and can't mention what happens? No, you're fine as long as you can, uh, you, you can say you're on the block because that's a fact and... It was featured on the show. So the first year we were on the block, our turnover doubled in that year. Really? Uh, Do you put yeah. it down to the block? I think it was a, a bit of an exposure of the products um, to the market as general knowledge of the products were increasing, but certainly being on the block was huge. Um, 
funnily enough, it actually was probably the, the most difficult year that Hotwise ever had because turnover doubled and I got to fund that and buy the stock. And um, so there was a couple of times I even had to fly in pallet loads of stock that I would normally put on a boat uh, and didn't even make any money out of those shipments because the freight was so expensive, but I had to just get it in to keep sales turning over. So yeah, that first year we uh, we doubled, but it was ironically um, a really difficult year financially to actually just manage a, a, a growth business like that. Um, yeah, well, growth is growth sounds awesome, doesn't it? But often it brings its own problems. Yeah, you tell people who don't run a business or sort of haven't had exposure to this sort of thing that you've doubled your turnover in a year and they think, yeah, yeah you must be you know rolling in it. But um, I probably took less money out of the business that year than I did sort of any other year because we were funding the growth so much. Um, so it was pretty challenging, but it was obviously great for the business. Could you see the light at the end of that painful growth phase? Yeah, absolutely. Think, we, gosh, we, we, is... We've grown at a more reasonable rate since, but I, I'm... Moderate, I, moderate growth, mate. <laughs> moderate moderate hey? growth. Uh, so we've grown at a moderate rate since. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's, been, it's been really good. The, um, the, the block has certainly been a big part of that. And uh, as I said, Kyle and Cara and others, Simon and Shannon, who won it a couple of years later, they um, continue to promote our products and um, well, I just want to... been great friends. Uh, this is not an episode. This is an episode about moderation, not celebrity endorsement. But I am, <laughs> I am fascinated by that marketing strategy. How did you subsequently get Kyle and Cara yeah. to endorse? Did you sort of pull them aside and go, "Hey guys, here's a little brown paper bag with you know, I'm a moderate successfully company, so there's fifty bucks in it. Um, <laughs> can you say a few things on social for me?" Yeah, well, I, I probably can't say exactly what we did with them, but um, but um, certainly we've you know we've been able to um, support them, give them some product, and and they've been really generous in promoting us, and they're just. That, on social, yeah, on social, um, um, and allowing us to have endorsements from us from them on our on our website, as well as, like I said, Simon and Shannon as well mm. have been have been amazing, and we're just starting to do some work with uh, with Mitch and Mark from last year as well. So um, <laughs> we uh, we ride it ride it for all it's worth. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, you don't like reality TV. I love reality <laughs> TV, says Luke. Um, I'm a little bit more of a fan now than I perhaps used to be. Fair enough too. I was going to ask what role marketing has played in your moderate success, yeah. but it clearly uh, it, it's played a fair role by the sounds of it. Is marketing something that you actively do each week or is yeah, it something so that happens by chance? Yeah, we've got a regular marketing schedule. We, we deal with a, a lot of different groups from electrical contracting groups to to hardware, to retail tile stores, and we have a regular marketing program to, to each of those groups that would um, you know, tailor-made to, to them. So we might advertise the same, we might send the same message each week, but it's sent in a different way to an electrical contractor to what it be, would be to a retail tile store. So so the same message, for example, we, we launched a product last year and Hotwire's the only, sounds like a bit of advertising my company now, but... Um, hey, Hot, go for it. Hotwire's I'm, all, only, I'm all about promoting small okay. business, brother. Uh, so Hotwire's the only uh, floor heating company in, in the country uh, that has a thermostat that'll also integrate with the Google Home system. So you can oh, yeah. talk, tell your phone to turn on your floor heating um, as you're driving home from work, which is all pretty cool. But the um, the message to an electrical contractor to sell that product is different than how it would be to a retail tile store. So we send the same message out, but we um, you know tailor make it for each each group we're sending it to. Isn't the internet of things fascinating? Yeah. You know, like five years ago, it wasn't really part of the conversation, but now yeah. what we can have things do. Now, uh, recently, Luke, and hence my appeal in, in having you on the show, you hit a, a significant, you even use this word significant, which seems over the top to me. You hit a significant financial milestone. What was it? As I said, I almost feel a little bit guilty talking about this in the in the current climate, given that so many businesses are finding it so difficult under the uh, under the current you know restrictions and the and the COVID nineteen situation. But um, but we've just had our um, we had our our biggest month ever, which finished our biggest financial year ever. 
at the same time. And we did have a, quite a significant downturn during the year as well for a month or two where we sold much less than we anticipated we were going to. So to do that in the middle of in the middle of mm. the coronavirus and, and a global pandemic with all the challenges that every business has had has had this year. I, I sort of sat down, we passed it earlier June, so we had nearly all of June's turnover over and above last financial year. And I just sat down and went, this is ridiculous. In this market, in this in this environment, mm. we've just had our biggest year our biggest year ever followed, you know, on the back of our biggest month ever. How did we, how did that actually happen? You know, well, you say, it, you say that allowed for some introspection, which led you to writing a LinkedIn article that caught my attention because you posted it in the Small Business Big Marketing yeah. Facebook tribe. Yeah. Uh, you, you titled it 10 Steps to Business Success with a Moderately Successful Business Owner. Yeah. Firstly, why did you decide to write the article on LinkedIn? Sitting around a fire in our backyard with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago who's a very risk-averse person who's um, been employed his, his whole life. Lovely, lovely guy. I don't say that as a criticism at all, just that's, that's you know, his, his personality. And I was talking to him and, he, and I said, I've been thinking about maybe writing some, a few ideas down on why I've been successful. And he said, you should do that. That's, that's amazing. And he was really encouraging all that. And I went, oh, all right, well, some, at least one person will find that interesting. So I, I wrote this article and uh, thought, what's the best platform for it? And I, you know, I don't have my own blog post or anything. It's the first thing of this sort of nature I've ever written. Um, and I thought I'll just use a LinkedIn article. That's the best way to uh, to spread the word. And so I put it up on LinkedIn, and I've already been approached to publish it, the article in a magazine, and then of course with this podcast um, as well. So I think the the fact that I I sort of celebrated moderate success. You know, we're not we're not changing the world, but we're we're moderately successful. I uh, right at the start of the article, I, I say, um, you know, my surname is not Gates or or Zuckerberg, but I've been successful. And I, I think in the business world, we don't celebrate enough moderately successful businesses because we're not all going to be Bill Gates or Zuckerberg or, you know, Melanie Perkins who started Canva, who's now Australia's third richest woman and she's, you know, 32 years old or something. Um, One of my favourite guests. Yeah, ama- amazing, uh, amazing story of success and we should absolutely celebrate her success, but she's at the absolute top of the tree and I think in the business world, we don't allow ourselves to celebrate when we've we run a moderately successful business. The the analogy I like to use is I've played a lot of indoor cricket. My mates and I entered entered a team in the over 30s Masters Championship in Australia. So, you know, top level cricket this is, you know, <laughs> over 30s indoor cricket Masters a few years ago. And I we, can hear the aching joints already. Yeah, exactly. And look, none of us were ever going to play for Australia. We were never going to be aspire to be that ultimately successful athlete. But we, we won the national championships in the over 30s. We won a gold medal and we celebrated like we'd, you know, won the Ashes. Um, I posted this article and a, a friend of mine emailed me just last night actually and he, and he really thanked me for sharing it because he'd been in business 20 years and he'd, he'd always felt shy and about sort of promoting himself. I'm like, you're in business 20 years later, you're successful. I couldn't agree more and, you know, and I've been reflecting as to what was the appeal of having you on the show besides it was a well-written article and, it, you know, the fact that it was moderate success but yeah. it also made me reflect on the fact that I started this show 11 years ago because yeah. I'm so in awe of the small business owner. Yeah, I love interviewing. You know, I've had Brian Singer who founded Rip Curl on this show and Jeff Harris who founded Flight Centre. Yeah. And they're really interesting people to speak to because yeah. they've done it all, right? And they've made gazillions. Yeah. But there is something very compelling about people like you who, like you said, we don't all aim to be Phil Knight or Zuckerberg or whatever. And I start this show by yeah. saying, you know, building that beautiful business of yours into the empire it yeah. deserves to be. And actually what I mean by empire doesn't necessarily mean to make a gazillion dollars. 
you, you can self-define empire. It may be the freedom to take your family on a wonderful holiday and put your kids through school and uh, the happy days, right? So I think yeah. I absolutely agree. Oh, well, not think, I, you, I absolutely agree. Um, moderate success is, is awesome. Now, in your article, Luke, you break it down into 10 things or 10 steps that you have done I guess they're, they're not really in order, are they? Or are they that, that uh, have led to this moderate success? No, I didn't actually. I just sort of, it was, as I said, it was a brain dump. I, I, if I'd known um, I would have ended up on a podcast and if someone wanted to publish it in a magazine, I might have put a bit more thought into the order in which, <laughs> the order in which they went down. But, but yeah, they were just sort of the order that came out of my head. Um, awesome. Well, let's talk about them. The first sure. one is show up. Yeah. Just ask for the business. I mean, this, I've, I've won so many clients over the years just because I'm the one who kept asking for it. Just recently, we won a, a client and they, he told me he was meeting with my competitors. So I let him go for a week or so and then I called him back and he said, look, I haven't, I haven't finished you know, looking at it all yet. And I called him back another week later and I think on the third call, he said, um, we'd love to go ahead with, with Hotwire. Can you come in and um, you know, come in next week? We'll sign the agreement, et cetera. So I went in to meet with him and um, we signed it all off. And then at the end, I said, okay, would you mind telling me why you went ahead with, with Hotwire over, over my competitors? I, you know, I know you met with them. And he said, well, you kept calling me. And I said, that was it. And there was no mention of price. There was no mention of product quality. There was no mention of anything else other than the fact that I was the one who kept showing up. That's happened to me a lot of times over the years where, you know, I've gone to a bunch of sales courses and I've mentioned the article. I'm in a program called Business Blueprint, which I really highly recommend that I know you Dale know. Dale Beaumont. I know you know Dale. And an amazing program. And I've sat through all sorts of sales seminars in that and they and teach you all sorts of amazing things. And I have won sales with some of the things I've learned in that program, but the vast majority of sales I've won over the years or clients I've won is just because I'm the one that kept asking for it. And I didn't use techniques, I just simply showed up. What do you think that the psychology is behind those who aren't showing up, who aren't following up their quotes, who aren't calling two, three, four, five times? Did you get the quote? Have you made a decision? Is there anything else you need? I personally think maybe some of us don't want to hear the bad news. We'll take it personally. What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with you. People are, are, are what if they say no? I tell my kids or my kids all the time when they're looking for work or whatever else, just ask the question, what's, who cares if they say no? That's the worst possible outcome is they say no. The best possible outcome is you get a job or you, you win the deal. What if they say yes? What if they say yes? Like, it changes your life. There's so much second guessing in this game, isn't there? Like, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. And the reality is, here you ask the guy and he goes, because you kept calling, you know? Yeah. You, sh- you showed interest. You wanted the business. Yeah. Your next point, Luke, is family first. This is really critical for me. Um, I've got, we had four kids in six years. So, you know, we got married young, had kids young. I'm, I'm 46 and I've got, you know, four kids or two in their 20s and two in their late teens. So, um, you know, we had our kids young and there's no doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, my business would be, would be bigger if I had spent less time with my kids. If I had spent more hours working in the business, I would be turning over more and I have no, no qualms about saying that. But I'm not going to get to the end of my life in which I spent more time in my office. It's just not going to happen. And so mm. I've deliberately prioritised my kids and my family. I've made sure that most days I'm home shortly after the kids get home from work, you know, home from school. Um, so they'll get home and, I, and I'm there not long after. And I've deliberately, you know, prioritised them as, as much as is, is humanly possible uh, just to make sure that, that they felt loved and they felt valued. And, and I've got a great relationship with all four of them now. You, you talk about in the article, and I love this, the, these once a year, you give them a surprise day off. What's that? 
Uh, we're delving into parenting, not business business talk now. But um, but this was well. I question that <laughs> yeah, yeah. because this has all impacted your business in a positive way. It has, and this is a, if you've got kids out there, this is something I've a really simple thing that I've done that can actually dramatically change your relationship with your kids, and it's been it's been amazing. So once a year, I give them a surprise day off, and this started when they were really little, um, when they're all only only had a couple of kids in school when I did the first one. Pretended to take them to school. They all got ready for school in the uniform, got their lunches, the whole deal. And then I'd just simply drive through the schoolyard and take them somewhere else. And they'd wave, they'd wave goodbye to their friends as we drove through. And the very first time, we just went to the beach for the day. Sometimes it didn't cost any money. Um, we just went to the beach. We'd go to the park. We'd do a variety of different things. But then the, I did it once a year and the kids would start to look whenever I... Because I didn't take them to school all the time. So anytime I took them to school, it was like, is it the surprise day off? Is that what's happening today? <laughs> uh, and so I had to get more and more trickier over time to put them off the scent of whether it was a surprise day off or not. And, and we've done all sorts of things over the years. And I, if you asked any of my kids, I'm sure they'd say that it's one of their favourite memories of their childhood is, is was it the surprise day off or not? And it cost me one day a year. And my phone was off. Nothing else mattered that day except my kids. That's awesome. All right, the next step in moderate success, Luke, is choose your business partners carefully. We've touched on this, but yeah, maybe so, dig a bit deeper. Yeah, so I had two business partners. As I said, they actually started the company and I came in after about six months. And I've no bad word to say about either of them. They're, they're both amazing businessmen. They're both men of integrity. Um, no issues with either of them, but we went about things in a, in a different way and our, and our partnership just didn't really work. So... In the end, they made a very generous offer to me to, to was able to buy them out of the business, and so I, I did that. Um, but we sort of struggled together for five or six years before we got to that point, and there was a lot of, a lot of conflict um, and sort of angst that that went along the way. And it wasn't because they were bad guys it, it, at all; it was just that our team didn't really function well together because we went about things in a in a different way. And it got to the point that the only way forward for the business was for somebody had to get out. Um, Do you have a business partner now? Uh, no, no uh, so. because you don't want you don't want to go there again. Twice bitten, uh, three times shy. A little bit. Uh, it'll, it's more relevant in my actual my last point of the of the ten, which we'll get to. But I've looked at a couple of people who've been willing and wanted to invest in in Hotwire over the journey. But I had to be really clear about they wanted the same thing out of life and about business that that I did, mm. and that's never been one hundred percent clear to me. So I haven't ever taken that step again. You've got moderate success right now. What what would um, extreme success be for you? <laughs> well, obviously, extreme success is the is you know the likes of, of Melanie Perkins and you know. Is the, it? Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not sure that is. That's that's, that's, that's extreme financial success. Um, that's for Melanie. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. maybe she's valued at four point eight billion dollars. Canva like last week or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something um, ridiculous. Yeah. But, but no, for you, what does extreme Maybe. success look like for you? Yeah, well, I would actually say that if you look at Hotwire as a business model, it's moderately successful. In my own life, I've got a, a wife I've been married to for for twenty five years. Um, you know, I've got four kids who I get on who I get on great with, who are all doing great things with their lives. You know, I, I reckon that's pretty extremely successful. There you go. You just had a realization, haven't you? To be, to be <laughs> you able to, to change do that. the headline so, of that article. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, point four: You don't yeah. know what you don't know. Yeah, so about um, five or six years ago, I, I thought the business was going along all right, but I could see there was a way, there had to be a way to get the business to, to really the next level, and I didn't know what it was. So I looked at a couple of different ways and all groups that I could learn things from and um, settled on, on Business Blueprint run by Dale Beaumont uh, and joined that program. And for those who don't know, it's a group of business owners get together for a few times a year for conferences with different speakers on different topics and um, incredibly valuable. And 
And I learned so much that I didn't know about technology and my business is so much more streamlined now and my systems and our procedures and there's flowcharts for every aspect of the business. And Well, you've got blueprints. Do you have a hunger yeah. for knowledge? Yeah, I love the, the conferences. Every, every time I go there, it's learning more things and I take copious notes and, um, of course, they're all online at the moment. Um, so we're sitting in our lounge rooms rather than getting together, but, but just learning more about how to do business better, is a, it's, it's brilliant. And that's, you know, I found out so much that I didn't know. What's your strategy then, Luke, for taking action? Because we've all we all take cop well, many of us take copious notes. We've yep. all got those books in the bottom drawer, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, from past conferences. Yeah, uh, part of what we do at the end of each conference is work out our action plan for the next ninety days, based on primarily a lot of based on what's happened at that conference. So. You know, you get a, an action plan. Um, we have a, a group that we're in, an accountability group that follows mm. we, follows us up. And so, you know, in two weeks' time, someone's going to say, why haven't you done that yet? As a business owner, you, you know, if you feel like going home and putting your feet up on the couch and having a beer, you can. You know, very, so you've got these yeah. accountability people uh, who, you, who you know are going to hassle you and say, why, you, why haven't you done your next thing? And that's that's a key thing. If you, if you own a business and you don't have someone you're accountable to other than your wife or your partner, then you've got to get at least one person who sits down and eyeballs you every couple of weeks and says, what are you doing? Totally. I yeah. was actually talking uh, this morning to past guest Darren Finkelstein, who uh, used to be known as the boat guy. He's now started another business helping people get stuff done, and he's okay. writing a book on accountability, yeah. which he wants me to name. And okay. uh, so I was sort of interrogating him about the book, and he said, you know, having that accountability buddy is everything. Because it's all very well to have the list and chunk things down and have a plan as to what to do. But he said, the minute you tell someone else, the research shows that you're, I think he said, some crazy stat, like you're 95% li- more likely to actually achieve or exceed your goal. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, that's awesome. Yep. Step um, step five, Luke, bite off more than you can chew, then chew like hell. Yeah. Well, I said a little bit about that when we when we started on the uh, on the block, but... We got a uh, about 16, 16 years ago. One of the first big clients we won. We um, in the article I talk about, I, all our stock was housed in, a, in an average garden shed at the time. Our entire inventory. I had a meeting with this national company, and they wanted to launch our products through their stores across Australia. And so we just went, sure, we can do that, no problems. And then we left the meeting, and we're like, how the hell are we going to do that? And so it was obviously my partners at the time. We're like, okay, so. You, Right, so we need sales reps around Australia and we need them now. And then we need, you know, we've got to have inventory, we've got to have build up our stock, we've got to have displays and, and we just found a way to, to make it happen. And, and it's no secret, I've told this story at their, at their conference, so that's the Beaumont Tiles, um, Beaumont Tiles Group. And, you know, they're a key partner of what we, um, of the growth of Hotwire and we, uh, you know, we're really, really involved in their, in their organisation and it's been, a, they're an amazing company to, to be a part of. And, and 16 years later, you know, we, uh, we're still a part of what they do mm. because we bit off more than we can chew. And yeah. I've, I've just finished reading Phil Knight's book, Who Started Nike? And he told a really similar story. He was, he was meeting with, with his Japanese supplier. Before he, was, before he was Nike, he was selling a brand called Tiger Shoes and his company was called Blue Ribbon. And he had the license to sell uh, these Tiger Shoes in 13 states of America, only on the West Coast. And he wanted the, he wanted the distributorship across, across the US. And he was in the meeting with them in, in Japan and they, he said, look, I want the nationwide distribution. And they said, oh, look, we can't give you that because you haven't got an office on the East Coast. And he said, no, I've got an office and warehouse on the East Coast. <laughs> and they went, oh, okay. Well, on that basis, you can have the whole of America. And he left the meeting, called his 2IC and said, you're moving to the East Coast to set up an office. You've got to find a warehouse now. And so the shipment's on the water before he even gave him the address of where it was going to. That's um, tremendous. And so he just... I think if you, if you read Phil Knight's book, you could actually realistically come to the conclusion that he was actually just 
a guy who stuck his neck out and got lucky a few times. And you probably would argue that he actually wasn't, he probably is now, but he wasn't even a great businessman at the start. He just got mm. lucky. He just mm. bit off more than he can chew and chew like hell repeatedly and it all came off. I have heard this story so many times in the various people that I've had on this podcast. Daniel yeah. Flynn of the Thank You Group comes to mind immediately when yeah. he started Thank You, which was just a, a, a bottled water yeah. that he aimed to address the world water shortage uh, in third world countries with. He got his first order, which is quite a big order. Like he'd really worked hard to get into the boardroom and then subsequently actually get the business. Yeah. And he had no idea how to produce bottled water. So he left that meeting, looked at his business partner and like, yeah. how are we going to do this? Yeah. And he did it. Absolutely. And the rest is history. There's something to be learned about lying. <laughs> I thought it was bad. Yeah, like I don't know that I, I don't think I, I don't think I lied. We just said we can do that, and then we worked a way to make it happen. And now it's a good story to tell. Uh, yeah. Your, uh, I'm lost count here. One, two, three. Your sixth uh, yep. step in being moderately successful sort of plays off the last one, which is take risk. Yeah, I think. Um, as I said, for my friend who I was sitting around the fire with a couple of weeks ago, he he couldn't comprehend some of the steps I'd done over the over the years. And again, not at all the criticism of him. It's just different personalities and. You know, if, you, if you're looking to start, if you're listening to this podcast and you're looking to start a business and you're someone who's, who doesn't like taking risks, then I'd suggest that running a small business is perhaps not for you. You know, I've nearly been bankrupt a couple of times. We've been really close to the wire. Um, I've you know, laid awake at night staring at the ceiling going, how are we going to pay how are we going to pay these bills? You know, you've got employees relying on you. That all weighs on you and you can't do that without taking some risks. So, you know, if you're a risk-averse person, then then I'm not sure that owning a business is the get a job <laughs> is the right step for you, and that's fine. It's not a criti- again not a criticism if that's if that's who you mm-hmm. are. It's different personalities, and you know you look at all the people. I'm sure the people we've already mentioned um, that you've mentioned, and, and again Melanie Perkins and Phil Knight and, and these others um, had to take some fabulous risks to get where mm-hmm. they were, and you, you're just not going to do. You're not going to. Well, what about Melanie? She she found some venture capitalist who was yeah. moderately interested in what she had to offer, and then she found out that this guy was a mad kite surfer. She hated the water. <laughs> he was holding a conference in like Hawaii, and it was a kite surfing come business conference. No. She's gone. I'm going. I am going. I'm going to kite surf with this guy, and you know, yeah. Four point eight billion dollars later, it was probably a pretty good conference to go to and thing to do. Yeah, she's um, glad she learned kite surfing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, okay, next one. Choose great staff. Every business owner I speak to is saying, "What is the biggest problem in your business?" They say mm. people. Yeah, look, it's always challenging, and my I've been really lucky with the with the staff I've I've got. Um, I would comfortably say that they know more about aspects of my business than than I do, but I trust them implicitly. Um, we were planning on leaving them all for a month and going to Europe in May, but obviously we didn't didn't manage to do that. But I had the absolute confidence that I could do that, and mm. the business would have been hundred percent fine when I wow. when I got back. And how do you get to that level of confidence with people, with your staff who are you know responsible for keeping your business afloat when you're not there? I think you've got to show you've got to show that you care about them, and not just so you get the results, but because it's the right thing to do. My office manager recently. Um, her job had got too big and I hadn't realised that in the middle of COVID, I was working from home a lot and I hadn't realised that, that her job had really got too big for her and she needed some help. And she got to a point that her job was getting too stressful for her and, uh, you know, I hadn't realised that yet, which is my fault, my fault absolutely. We've since hired another, put on another staff member to to basically job share her role and it's it's going on, it's going on great, but I had to... I had to do that for her, and I even bought her. A, <laughs> I even bought her a, a gift card from Westfield to apologise that I hadn't, you know, realised this and I'd created stress in her life because I had. I, I hadn't. It was my fault. I hadn't realised her job had got too big, and so I employed someone else. 
I bought her a card to say thank to to say sorry and said, look, you, you know, you're really valued in our business, and I'm really sorry that we I didn't realise that sooner. And so, because I had shown so much interest in her, which again I didn't do because I wanted the result, I did it because it was the right thing to do. But of course, that creates employees who value your company and, and who feel important, and so they're going to work harder and they're going to, you know, put more effort into to to look after your business. I love the quote that you include in your LinkedIn article uh, yep. by Steve Jobs where he says, yeah. and I quote, it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and then tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. It's pretty- Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and my-, my Pretty big uh, coming from him. Yeah, my sales manager's like that. He actually used to work for Beaumont Tiles. Um, and so he came He came to me uh, knowing a lot about that that area. And I, I've never worked in a retail, a retail tile store. So- you know, he he had, and so he tells me a lot about what to do in that space and how we should, how we can best work in that in that market because he's got the experience and I don't. Do you often poach people from your largest client, or just make it a, <laughs> just, a, just a one-off? <laughs> no, look, it was there were a few interesting phone calls around that. Um, he he actually applied for a role we'd, we'd advertise, so I, I didn't I didn't poach him specifically. But, right, but yeah, there were there were a couple of interesting phone calls I had to make to a uh, to Beaumont's at that point and go, um, yeah. <laughs> Can you come into my office and sign a confidentiality? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was all it was all good. Um, and it's, well, it's just really on that. How do you save that? Did, uh, just were you clear up front? You said to this guy, "Hey, listen, this could cause some pain, so I'm going to have to go to your current employer and tell them you're, you're applying for you. You want out, and you want to come and work for me? Did you kind of get it, or did you wait till you realised he was the man? Yeah, I um, it was certainly no doubt difficult difficult to 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 rein to negotiate, and I, luckily, I've because we've been. Um, selling there for so long, I had a really good relationship, and I was able to call a few of the, a few of the senior staff and go, "Hey, look, mm-hmm. this is what's, this is what's happening," and it was all, it was all okay. But yeah, certainly that was a little bit of a difficult thing to to work. Mm. Luke wipes his brow. Um, <laughs> point eight that leads to moderate success, yeah. and I would argue leads to extreme success because we have we've had this discussion on the show so many times. We've had Rob uh, Michael Gerber from the E Myth on the show. Yeah. Systems. Yeah. Uh, Let's. W- w- my listeners know the importance of them. What I'm interested here from you, Luke, is how do you create systems? Uh, where, yeah. like, how and where? Sure. So every 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 process in our business has a uh, has a flowchart. Um, Prints it up. It's available on an internal on Google sites. We use as an internal um, internet. Uh, and there's flowcharts there. There's also screen recording software we use so that even how to enter an invoice, how to do a credit note, there's a video of someone doing that process available on that screen. So when Nick started, who was our, the office manager I was referring to before, when she sat down on her first day, um, I set her up at a new computer with two screens and I said, right, here's the here's the internet on how to do things and here's a screen on how to do it. And she would just for the next couple of days, I'd watch her working out how to do the processes because she didn't need to ask me anything because it was everything she needed to know how to do was there. So we had literally every process, how to process a sale. Even I even took videos of how to pack our boxes and uploaded those so that every single process in the business was was there so that you knew how to do it. Um, and it's ridic- I, I'm going to be, I'm going to get into a little bit of minute here because I really want, I, 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 maybe okay. I will put a ban on talking about systems going forward because we have had it so often, but yeah. the video on packing boxes, yeah. how does that even come to be? Do you say, hey, we need a video to, d- to detail the process of packing our boxes. Yep. So you get your iPhone out, mm-hmm. you video one of your staff members doing it. Yep. You then, what, simply upload that to Google Sites, yep. uh, label it, tag it, write some copy, it's there. Exactly. Yep, exactly what we did. So, not hard. No, not hard, but it was critical because now anyone can come into our business and I've got a little tablet downstairs in the warehouse in the packing area. There's a tablet there which has access to 
the um, the internet and to Google Sites. And so in your packing your box, if you're not sure, you can just play the relevant video and, and learn how to do it. Uh, so it's it's all there. And, you know, I, I could let anybody could come into, into our business and, and do the vast majority of the tasks without having any training whatsoever because it's all there showing them how to do it. Wow. And, and not only that, when, it, when and if it comes time to sell hot wire heating, what an asset. Yeah, absolutely. It, what it makes, an asset. Yeah. Uh, should you ever, should you be in a position you want to sell your business, it makes it 100% saleable because most small businesses can't do that because they're so dependent on the owner um, and most of the information being in the owner's head. Uh, whereas if you've got it all systemized and written like that with videos and procedures and flowcharts and everything else, uh, then it, mm. makes it, it makes it foolproof. Step nine, Luke, don't spend what you haven't got. <laughs> What yeah, do you mean? I want that new iPhone. I want that Audi. Yeah, what's, this is before I'd actually bought out my partners. My wife and I were, uh, as I said, we had the four kids. She had a pretty, pretty cheap van, and we couldn't really afford a second car. So, um, you saw me when I when I walked in. I'm I'm not a I'm not a small person. I'm I'm 194 centimeters or six four for the for the old. Um, but the only thing we could afford at the time was a little 50 cc motor scooter for me to get around. So, so I bought a 50 cc motor scooter for about 1,200 bucks. And You're coming a mile away on that thing, and, and yeah, my 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 six foot four frame um, crammed onto this little fifty cc <laughs> motor scooter, and I would, I've, I had to keep my I had to keep my hair pretty short at the time, so that when I go into meetings, I didn't have helmet hair, and um, <laughs> and I'd I'd ride this thing, I'd park it around the corner from from my meetings, and I'd have the sort of wear my suit jacket, but have the you know the motorcycle jacket on, and I'd take the jacket off, get the suit jacket out from under the seat, do my hair, sort of walk around the corner into the meeting, and. Uh, and then, you know, rinse and repeat the next time. And, Love it. But it was all we could afford to do at the time. And, you know, I've only just recently, last year I bought the car I've sort of always wanted, which, uh, you know, I was only able to do do last year after 16 years of, of owning the business and I'm in my mid-40s. Um, you know, so I, I, part, of that was, awesome. part of that was because I didn't have any kids at home anymore, so I didn't need to worry about a car that yeah. would facilitate the kids. So... Um, and do you love the Toyota Camry? <laughs> I, bought, I bought myself a, a twin cab Ute with big fat wheels on it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need a twin cab Ute, and I don't go four wheel driving. But I love, <laughs> I love I, it. I love my big Ute with the big fat wheels on it. Whatever, so, whatever does it for you. <laughs> so I bought that. But for you know, for a good couple of years there, all, all I could afford was a fifty cc scooter. I think it had like a seven liter petrol tank, and you know, so you're filling it up every couple of days. But uh, but that was all we could afford to do, and um, and we got around, uh, and it, it did what we needed to, and. Yeah, I see a lot of small business owners struggling for mm. struggling for for turnover and struggling for cash when they've got the the caravan and the boat and the holiday house and yeah. the and the big car. And you go, well, I know you want that, and I know that's what you got into small business to afford. But if you can't actually afford it, it's mm. not it's not the time. And and there's just so many business owners I see in, in that in that position. Um, well, mate, I do have a I have a fancy car that sits in the driveway, and I also have a two hundred and fifty cc Vespa, which I get around on 90 percent of the time, and yeah. I absolutely love it. There's a wonderful freedom, and I'm six foot four as well. And now you're making me feel very conscious. No, well, that, that, that I look silly. Am I looking like Mister Bean? I've never thought what I look like on this scooter. Am I looking well, like Mister Bean? The two hundred and fifty cc scooter probably a bit better than the. I mean, I think my lawnmower's got a bigger motor than the fifty cc <laughs> scooter I had. So. Oh, they're a noise polluter, those 50 cc's. <laughs> the last point, Luke, in moderate success yeah. is to give. Yeah, so most of the time I've had um, Hot Wire, I've been involved in other charitable causes as well, non-profits and, and various different things I've given time for. In some, in some times I've been giving up to a day a week of my time for these different different causes. And I understand that everyone's going to be even have the capacity to be able to give a day of time, but I think as a just a if you've 
we have a responsibility as, as business owners to to give back to the community. And if you're lucky enough to own your own business, I know you've worked hard for it and you might not say it's luck, but I think we have a responsibility to, to give back. And so I've helped a, a variety of different organisations. Um, I help out a little bit at the moment with a charity that our business um, supports called Southern Cross Kids Camps, who run camps for underprivileged kids and just give them a week of a week of fun, get them out of their life and just give them, they call it a week of happy memories. And, and I actually had dinner with their CEO last night and I was talking to him about how we're going to you know, support them further and just a, an amazing an amazing group. But I didn't give a lot of time to, to them, but previously I've worked in a bunch of different organisations. Is it about the law of reciprocity? Is it about you feeling good? I mean, obviously you're doing good as well, but you kind of go back into the workplace feeling ready to take on the world in a moderate kind of way. You don't want to go, <laughs> go over the top about no, it's, look, it's not really about making me feel good. Um, it's it's just about the responsibility of of giving mm. back. Uh, I think we we have that we have that responsibility. Uh, there's there's so many people that that need our help, and what I think a lot of business owners don't think don't realise is ways they can be effective, what skills they might have to to offer. And I've got a uh, one of my best friends works for an organisation, and he uh, I can't say what country he's in because of the sort of work he's doing, but he's working with Syrian refugees and doing doing amazing. Amazing work, and he's, he and his wife have given their their lives to do that work. They're, they're growing up in another; their kids are growing up in another country to help these organisations out, and and they're doing amazing work. But what a lot of people don't don't realise is a lot of these charitable organisations, and particularly smaller ones, a lot of the people in them are actually doing the work. But then they're also responsible for often for raising their own funds to to mm. support that work. And my mate is great at what he does, but he is horrible at asking people for money. Mm. Yeah, it's just not his strength. I don't care. I'll ask anybody for money. Um, so, so you know how I how you I asked me before we came on here. It was weird because we don't even know each other. But anyway, yeah, I know. Good on you. you. Know, if you're going to have me on your podcast, you should pay for the privilege. Um, <laughs> I love it. So, uh, so you know, he's uh, point so, eleven. Back yourself. <laughs> so you know, when he comes back to Australia and he has to do so regularly for for citizenship reasons and other things, he, he's he's coming back and he's got to try and raise some funds. And I just get in and help him and go and ask people for money for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you, if, you know what he's good at, and you know yeah, what you're good at. Yeah, and, and there's, there's so many, there's so many causes out there that just need business owners, even for something as simple to say to go to a couple of companies and ask them for money on their behalf. So you can help mm. these people out by doing things that you're already good at. And there's just so many organisations out there that can that can do with your help. We have a responsibility to to give back, and um, as long as I'm capable of doing that'll be a, that'll be a part of my my core values in in running our business. And again, there's no doubt that Hotwire would be a bigger company if I hadn't spent a lot of time giving away a day a week to another organisation. But as I said before, I'm not yeah. going to get the end of my life and wish I, wish I hadn't done that. Luke, it's been a moderately interesting interview uh, <laughs> and uh, with a moderately successful business person, small business owner. I, I think it's awesome actually what you've done, putting aside all jokes. Um, yeah. But it was a great article, well done on it, you know, and it's kind of highlighted a really important fact that you don't have to aim, you know, shoot, what do they say? Shoot for the stars and you might land on the moon. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's what you've done. What's what's your next article? Well, I was I was saying said to my wife, it, in, interestingly enough, this is a, you know, moderate article has been fairly successful. So I, I said, oh, maybe I should write a couple more on sales tips or finance tips or whatever. So maybe, maybe I'll write some more. 
Awesome, buddy. That has been Luke Chant, hotwireheating.com.au is his moderately successful business. I encourage you to go and have a look and get a heated towel rail. I think every house in Australia really should have one, no matter where you live. I mean, I'm in- And floor heating. Don't, don't forget the floor heating. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just trying to get him a lead in, Luke. You know, <laughs> get the towel rail in and then sell them the floor heating. Don't go for gold, all right? You'll have too much success. And don't forget the thermostat with the Google Home connection. <laughs> oh, here well. we go. <laughs> Luke Chant, thank you for sharing, buddy. No worries. Thank you. Well, there you go, team. Moderately successful business owner, Luke Chant of Hotwire Heating. Uh, You'll find a link to Luke's LinkedIn article over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 513. But in the meantime, here's what grabbed my attention from that moderately interesting chat with Luke. Attention grabber number one. I love the fact that Luke made the effort to share his tips and insights in an article on LinkedIn. Not only has he had good engagement from his followers, it got him an interview on Australia's number one marketing podcast, just saying. And to my point earlier about owning the race course and not the race horse, it would have been a better option for Luke to post that article on his blog and share it on LinkedIn and other social channels. That way, he's constantly directing traffic back to his website where people are one step from contacting him. Attention grabber number two. I love Luke's attitude of just showing up and continuing to ask for the business. As he said, what if they say yes? Oh, wouldn't that be exciting? Attention grabber number three. I love the idea of biting off more than you can chew than chewing like hell. Now, I've heard and seen this so many times over the 11 years I've been doing this podcast. Past guests like Thank You's Daniel Flynn and Outland Denim's James Bartle attribute this simple philosophy in large part to their early and ongoing successes. That's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, I'd love to hear it. Head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 513 and leave me a comment. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Yes, indeedly, doodly, it's time to reward another motivated listener for taking some serious marketing action. And today's winner is Dr. (laughs) Dr. Peter Miles of New Wave Orthodontics. This is what Dr. Pete has to say. Hey, Timbo, I heard you speak at the Caloundra Chamber of Commerce here on the beautiful Sunshine Coast. (laughs) That was pre-COVID, obviously. And have now listened to over two years of your podcasts. Wow, thank you. I knew there was someone out there. I even bought two copies of your book, The Boomerang Effect, one for me and one for a colleague. As an orthodontist, our job is to help our patients achieve not only more beautiful smiles, but also more confident smiles. Orthodontists are fortunate to enjoy a trusted position with their patients, so the boomerang effect fell right in line with what we already do in our clinics on a daily basis, which is be helpful and share information in your marketing to help people make a more informed purchase decision. Dr. Pete goes on to say, I had started creating a number of short and I hope helpful videos on various topics and over the last few weeks, as offices have been closed across the world, have been busily adding more and now have a total of 14 either already online or ready to share on a regular basis soon. I'm being patient. As I know you state, it takes six months to start seeing results, but I am going to enjoy the little things as just in the past month alone, our YouTube views and watch time have increased over 1,000%. 
Insert applause here, says Dr. Pete. Dr. Pete, that is an awesome outcome. Newwaveorthodontics.com.au is where you'll find the good doctor if you want to improve your smile. And for going to the trouble of writing me that email, doctor, you have won a full range of liars, non-alcoholic spirits, a copy of Jamie Mustard's book, The Iconist, a Bonjouro license, vouchers for Sendall, Flora and Fora and Tradies, some Mr. Lee's noodles, promotion on this show, and a backlink in the show notes, which Google absolutely loves. For all others who have not entered the Monster Prize draw, send me one idea that you've implemented from listening to this show, and if I read it out on air, you win! Well, there you go, team. That almost brings us to the end of your favourite marketing podcast. Feel free to leave me your feedback over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 513, where you can also grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, then you'll find over 500 more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app. Next time around, we catch up with ex-Navy officer Anthony Richardson, who has cleverly applied the rules of branding Check this out. To a part of an armoured personnel carrier and turned it into one of Australia's leading pieces of exercise equipment. Oh, I love how some people make money. If you're getting value from listening, then please let other business owners know about the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast, which was presented by me, Timbo Reed, and secretly put together by the cunning team at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. <laughs>